0: We are walking through the Ten Commandments as a church. And so, a couple things. Time and technology didn't allow me to provide, or maybe my laziness, to provide slides for you. And so, I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. So, whether you're at home or whether you're here, uh, grab a Bible. Um, If you're a note taker, take notes. Uh, Nothing wrong with with using technology, Uh, but there's also something beautiful about feeling the weight and feeling the, the fingers. And it helps your brain when you know, oh, this is in the top right hand corner. It helps memory. You get. All your senses. So we're going to go old school today. Uh, turn if you would with me to Exodus 20, and we are going to highlight actually two uh, commandments from the Ten Commandments. And verse we're going to start with verse 17, and then go to 15, and you'll see why in a minute. But Exodus 20:17 says, "You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife." or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So, thou shalt not covet. And in verse 15, it says, thou shalt not steal. So, again, setting the context up for the Ten Commandments. If you'll remember, uh, Israel were slaves in Egypt, and were in bondage for many, many years. And then God calls Moses... And brings them out of slavery using incredible miracles and plagues. And frees them from the bondage of slavery. And the phrase that we hear over and over is, let my people go that they may worship me. And so we have this story of redemption. We have this story of rescue. And now we see God establishing his people Israel with uh, great provision, with the land, uh, with blessings, so that they may worship him and also be a light to the world, uh, to, to declare and show the power of God and the goodness of God. So in this story of rescue, in this story of provision, in this story of redemption and rescue and blessing, uh, and then also purpose moving forward, now God gives them the Ten Commandments. God gives them some rules that says, "As I'm establishing you as a people to be used by me, uh, there's some things that are going to benefit you. there's some things that are going to position you to be in a place of benefit to others. And so that's the context of "Thou shalt not steal." That's the context of "Thou shalt not covet." So if you guys are up for it, uh, would you join me in prayer? Father God, as, as Tom prayed and uh, some of us in the back prayed, that we, we are nothing apart from you, that no good comes unless it comes from you. But we praise you in your perfect wisdom, in your plan, that you have chosen to use um, broken people, uh, that you have mended and are mending us in order to minister one to another. And so, Holy Spirit, would you please... Uh, make revelation of who we are in Christ? Would you make revelation of who God is uh, specifically so that we, if we don't know you as you are, or if we don't know you at all, uh, you might draw us to yourself in undeniable ways that we might worship you, we might bow before you, and we might present ourselves available uh, to be used by you. Thank you for your protection uh, even this day. Thank you for your provision even right now. Amen. So I thought it may be important to define these terms, coveting, stealing's a little easier, uh, but coveting, which we could probably have these working definitions, but in a sense it means yearning to possess, and specifically something that is someone else's. So there's this deep yearning to possess what you have. It's an obsession uh, to the point where it brings about an element of ungratefulness or dissatisfaction in your life. And then stealing is a little more obvious. It's taking something that doesn't belong to you or that is someone else's. And so as you see, there's a very relational component to both of these things. So it's not just desire that's wrong. It's not just a longing that's wrong. It's when I want what you have. It's when I'm going to take what belongs to you. And so we shouldn't be surprised, just like most things in the Bible, there's a very relational component to this, and we go wrong, and we start to cross lines, and it begins to be unhealthy when all of a sudden our gain is at the expense of someone else. And so what what coveting is not? I think there's—I had some problems trying to figure out— okay, what do I do with a longing and a desire that can motivate hard work or can motivate growth or can motivate production? Uh, and when do I know when that kind of crosses the line uh, to, governing, to coveting or sin? And so again, it doesn't mean we can't desire things that we work to get, uh, but essentially I, I think it falls into this category of, of what I would consider lust or what scripture calls lust. And basically lust is a over passion for. It can also mean a a desire for something that's forbidden. And so again, that's where we fall into the, if this is yours, it's not mine. Uh, But also those good things or those things that you think might benefit your life or even someone else's life, but it begins to be obsessive. And so we'll walk through some different ways, uh, I think, that it is helpful to keep yourself in check or have other people keep you in check to, to figure out where have you crossed into coveting where have I crossed into sin? Uh, I feel like stealing is a little more obvious. We should know if you're simply taking something that someone else is. Uh, but, but trying to figure out what different ways do we steal from each other as, as apart from just a very material thing. And so one of the questions is, is, is your longing for, are you entertaining or are you acting upon, is it at the expense of others? Or is it resulting in you withholding something from others that, that is rightfully theirs? I believe coveting is the, the heart condition, the attitude that leads to stealing. So James 1, 14 and 15, it says God, well, earlier it says God isn't tempting, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has been conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we see this build of something that starts with an attitude. I don't have what I should. I don't have enough. I should have this. And pretty soon we start to spin on that. And pretty soon we start to uh, muse on how we can get that. And ultimately, next thing you know, I'm not happy for what you have. I'm not happy for your situation. I just want it for myself. And so like most things, it starts with a, with a hard attitude of discontent. And then we try to reach out and get what... Uh, what is not ours. Uh, right when we started this, Ben talked about how the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus expresses in, in the New Testament really uh, mirrors or is almost a, a play uh, representing the, well, not a play, it's real, uh, but, but basically Jesus reenacting the Ten Commandments. And so I thought we'd look into, as Jesus goes through the Sermon on the Mount, all the different ways that kind of relate to this attitude of coveting. Uh, Jesus warns us against lust, again, an overpassion for something. He tells us to love our enemies. Well, coveting is grabbing something. It's the opposite of loving enemies. Uh, he talks about giving to the needy as opposed to stealing. He says that we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. He says you can't serve money and God. And then lastly, he says don't be anxious. Why? Because God will provide. So in Luke 12, 13 through 21, if you want to turn there, Jesus speaks directly to this idea of coveting. So Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? So the first thing we get is this guy looking at what his brother has and saying, Hey, I need some of that. And Jesus says, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, Here's what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, "Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry." But God said to him, "Fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for himself so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So first you have this individual who's looking at what his brother has and what he thinks he needs or he deserves. And he asks Jesus to intervene for him. And Jesus points specifically to possessions. And I think the problem, there there could be a lot of problems in here. We don't know this guy's primary motive. But I think one of the main problems is found in uh, verse 19 and then at the end in verse 21, where basically he he builds larger baths and he stores there. Right there we can understand that. That almost is common sense. But then his attitude is, ah, now I can relax, eat, and be merry. He's focused, he's, he's almost obsessed on, here's what I have, here's what I got, and so now I'm just going to lock in on pleasure, as opposed to using what God has given me to further his kingdom. And then it's even more pointed in verse 21. It says, you have your motive for this. Your motive to grab and hold on to these possessions were for yourself. You are more interested in yourself than the kingdom of God. And so I think any time that our, our drive, any time that our longing, if we see our motivation to uh, focus on self-glory more than God's glory, uh, we can be sure we're off. And, and in a very real sense, I think we can find ourselves specifically in our American culture guilty of, of covetingness, covetousness. Again, in Matthew 6, Jesus says this. So Matthew 6, verses 19 through... 34, we might not get to all that. Let's go to 24. Jesus warns us again about treasuring things on earth. He says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust can destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, Christ is highlighting here the idea that we're relational beings, but we're worshiping beings. That somewhere within you, you are always going to be worshiping something. You will always be giving something your full allegiance. And so Christ here is saying that if you have set your heart on possessions, and most of the time possessions, it's not the possessions in and of themselves, right? It's what they'll bring us. It's either the pleasure they'll bring us or the reputation they'll bring us. Uh, all kinds of things can kind of slide underneath that idol. But God is saying, you are going to commit your allegiance and your life to one thing or the other at each moment. And so he's claiming that one of the, one of the threats to a pure heart devoted to God will be this idea and this love of things. A couple questions. When you know or I think some checks, of of when my desire has crossed over into sinful coveting. Uh, Ask yourself, what is it costing you or others? So is your drive towards achieving something, what are you sacrificing? Is it friendship? Is it your priority as a father or a mother? What values have you started to lose where you thought, here's my values in life, and next thing you know, you look and say, how did those get switched? What happened? How did I lose my way? Another question is, are you satisfied without it? So this is a tough one, because I think contentment gets a bad rap. Or I think sometimes we say contentment is just being exactly where you're at and never moving forward with anything, and and I, I would push back on that. But a great question to ask yourself, or even to ask other people, is when you don't get what you're wanting, what's the level of anger? What's the level of complaining? What's the level of dissatisfaction? Do you see ungratefulness? What happens when you don't get what you want? Another great, great question is, why do I want this? Why am I longing for this? What's, what's the motivation behind this? Some of these things take some pretty honest introspection. How much do I want it? We are designed to love people and use things in worship of God. Instead, we love things use people in worship of ourselves. I, I, I can really enjoy things. There's my, my daughter Natalie, she loves good feelings, and so she always talks about aesthetically pleasing things. And so she'll show me all these Pinterest things, and isn't that aesthetically pleasing? It's basically these things that bring you these warm fuzzies Because they're good to look at. Whether it's a picture or smoothies being run through and the, you know, the beautiful thing or crunching ice. She's like, isn't that aesthetically pleasing? And I'm certainly, she probably, I'm afraid to admit it, but I think she gets some of that from me. Like, I love cool things. I like cool looking things. And I like all kinds of stuff that it's like, oh, that's beautiful. I want that. Right? Uh, But the question is, am I using those things to either build my reputation? Am I using those things or longing for those things? Am I lusting after those things? Why? And then as we saw in in Exodus, it says, don't covet what? Don't covet what your neighbor has. So I don't think this means, I love Ben's shoes, I would like to get my hands on something like that. I think it means, I love Ben's shoes and I want those shoes because I deserve them more than Ben." Or because I can't celebrate Ben's comfort. I need my own. And so you recognize how quickly this turns, not just into a comparison, but also a who deserves more? Who are you going to focus on more? Yourself or those around you? Coveting reveals a lack of faith. In other words, God hasn't provided what's best for me. That's a belief. That's an attitude, right? God hasn't provided what's best for me, so I need to go take it myself. That's an action. So you start to see when I question God's goodness towards me, when I question his generosity towards me, when I question that he knows better than I do, I have to take matters into my own hands. And like Adam and Eve, I have to go reach out and take the fruit. Matthew six twenty-five and through 34. We're familiar with this. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, drink, wear. Life is more than what you'll eat, drink, and wear. Look at the birds of the air. God takes care of them. You're more valuable than they. Being anxious doesn't help. Consider the lilies and how they grow. They need their toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Will God clothe you? Don't be anxious. For the Gentiles seek all of these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I really think the heart to combat the attitude of covetousness is understanding that God will provide for us. Psalm 16 says, in verse 5 and 6, says, "'Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You're what I need. You make my lot secure, and the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places.'" Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So the psalmist is claiming, God, you are my everything. You are my sustenance. You are what I need most. And then when I look at where you have placed me, when I look at my circumstances, when I look at my lot lines, my yard, it's beautiful. It's exactly what I need. I trust your provision. Because when do we get in trouble? when we start looking over the fence and seeing what our neighbor has, and then next thing you know, I want that. It's so good for me to understand every time I enter into covenanting, that is a declaration that God has not handled my life as he should. If it produces stealing of any form, that's me declaring loud and clear that I do not trust you to give me what I need or what I deserve. Contentment and gratitude reveal and declare that God handles your life beautifully. That God has given you exactly what you need. Now don't get me wrong, I I am not about, like, passivity in this. So many, many times God says, hey, I am your provision, now work hard. I can remember a time when we all had situations where the water heater broke or an unexpected situation comes up, and we pray, God, how are you going to provide? And my, my friend said, I, he'll probably provide through your emergency fund if you've been stocking money away over and over and over. See, if, if everything is gift, 1 Corinthians 4.7 says everything is gift. So whether I need $5,000 for a new water heater and I get an anonymous check in the mail, and it's for $5,000, and it's praise God for his provision, praise God for his provision. Or whether it's someone taught me to put $100 away for years and years and years and years and years, and I surrendered to that wisdom, and God gave me not only that person to teach me, but the income to have an extra $100, or the discipline to put it away, or to just hit the button that says automatically do this because I don't have the discipline. Like all of that is still of God, just like the anonymous check in the mail. And so if if this is something we do with God, think all the times in the Old Testament where God says, victory is yours, now go fight. So many, many times God's provision is through hard work, wisdom, relationship with others. And I think our job is to just recognize and understand it is all of him. And is isn't just us or just God. It all starts with God and he wants to partner with us. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need you have according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. Understand that we have such a gracious God. And I think the heart behind much of the Ten Commandments is that we are image bearers of God, created in His image. So I was trying to think through this, where what's it look like for us to take on the heart of God in these commandments that focus on what we shouldn't do? One thought is you can't steal if everything is yours. So God owns everything, so I think it's impossible for Him to steal. But also the the emphasis on how generous God is This this might be for today. This might be one of my favorite verses to share. Luke 12, 32. The generosity of God, but also the heart behind his generosity. Listen to this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So when you have something that you need, to live with joy, to live with purpose, to be used to build the kingdom of God. God loves to provide for you. God loves to give that to you. It is Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are created to be givers, not takers. We are created to invest into others, to build them up, not to consume and take and destroy. If we find ourselves complaining, if we find ourselves miserable, perhaps it's because we're, we're operating totally against and outside what we're created to do, outside the design. So what are we going to obsess over? Gratitude leads to contentment. I don't think you can be content and covet at the same time. So what are the things that we have to do to, to hit contentment in the mouth? To, to totally eliminate any idea of stealing? I think it's to cultivate a thankful heart. In other words, to obsess with what you have. And to recognize it's been given by God. So we're going to be doing it again today, but a week ago, a lot of us were shoveling snow. And so I'm out in my driveway shoveling snow... And in the past, that would have been fun, easy workout. Uh, since my physical ailments, shoveling snow is very awkward and very frustrating and takes a long time. And so I'm out there shoveling and shoveling and shoveling, and I just realize how thankful I am—I'm not holier than thou—to be shoveling snow. Because when you wake up in a wheelchair one day and have no idea if you'll ever even be able to hold a shovel— Like, shoveling snow is awesome. And so I'm sweating, and it's like two degrees, and I'm like awkwardly trying to throw this stuff, and it's taking a long time, and my neighbors drive by, and I got this stupid look on my face, and they're like, what is that guy laughing about? (laughs) But I'm telling you, if you start to lock in on what you have as opposed to what you don't, you will be a grateful person. We could all, you know the people that it's just one thing after another, and they're going to tell you about it. Oh, of course it's me who the the gas gauge doesn't work because I parked here. Oh, of course my printer's not working. Oh, that's just like one thing after another. Life always throws problems at them, right? Always. Well, every person right beside you could do the same thing if they wanted to. Every person could look at all the problems and highlight them and obsess over them, and say, God and the whole world is against me. We could all do that. We live in a very broken world. And I'm not saying we don't put our heads in the sand or acknowledge pain and acknowledge sufferings and acknowledge longings. But again, the question is, what are you gonna focus on? If you're a person that complains, listen to people when they say, you complain a lot. There's no way you complain if you're grateful. And if you're grateful, there's no way that you cultivate this heart and attitude of God has held out on me, and so I must get yours. Ephesians 4 highlights, uh, I think, an incredible principle in Scripture. It says, let, uh, Ephesians four twenty-eight: He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing good with his own hands that he may have something to share with the one in need. So it says this thief, this individual who is, has a reputation and is known for stealing, he must stop stealing and he must put himself to work so that when he has, he might give to others. So this is the difference between simply just uprooting an idol. It's replacing it. It's the difference between what you're running towards is more important than what you're running from. What you're about is way more important than what you're not about. And sometimes as Christians, we get that backwards. Think about changing not just one action, but changing your reputation for known and being a thief because that's what you have earned and then realizing God is asking you to, put, to repent of that, to put that aside, to start trusting God's goodness towards you. And now it motivates hard work. And what you do with your work is you build the kingdom. You bless others. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. So this week, ask yourself when you find yourself longing and wanting something. Why do I want it? How bad do I want it? Whose benefit? And I think more importantly to get underneath that service, underneath that surface level want and motivator is continue to see God's good provision in your life. Continue to behold all that he has given you. And continue to line yourself up with his good pleasure and not your own. And there's no way that you covet. There's no way that you steal. And better yet, you'll have incredible joy and contentment being used by God and resting in the fact that the Father delights in provision for you. The Father delights in rescue. The Father delights in using you to build his kingdom. Let's pray. Living God, I pray that you would grant us a heart to understand and know that you make good on your promise, and you say that you will provide all we need for life and for godly living. So I pray that we would be a people that, in, in some ways, because of, because that you create all things and you own all things, that we would be a people who own everything and, and possess nothing. Amen. Amen. Amen.